What is up, Asymmetry? Well, this has been a long time in the making. Mr. Ian Hunter came back to join us and just round out the conversation around soil biology, mineral balancing, what happened with the compost extract, potentially what caused it, and how do we continue moving forward in this exploration of a higher level of understanding of soil nutrition and the biology in a bonsai container? And this one is, uh, I think there's a lot of constructive discussion. I think it's as fascinating as any of the soil discussions that we've had. And there is a continued desire to further understand this component of bonsai, now knowing what we know and having the capacity to better orient our focus in the exploration. Uh, I would encourage you to check out Ian's uh, website, curesoil.com, C-U-R-E, soil, S-O-I-L.com, or email Ian at curesoil.com if you have any further dialogue, would want his services. Um, He's having wild success in the ground dealing with soils, correcting them. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm super impressed with the success. I'm still so curious and mystified by why bonsai continues to be such a difficult little mistress to wrap our mind around and understand the nuances as a horticultural application. But hey, that's why we've all dedicated so much of our time and passion to it. And uh, this podcast will not disappoint. I really appreciated Ian coming up took a lot of guts because we both had our perspectives and uh and we came to a very positive place enjoy feels like a lifetime huh it's been a minute huh it has been a minute been a hot minute ian yes sir Oof. ryan yeah how are good you to see you yeah good great to see you good. <laughs> <laughs> cheers cheers i feel like the first one started with alcohol so we might as well start this one with alcohol yep as, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. What have you been up to? Woo, what have you been doing? Since when? Yeah. Man, geez. Well, um, after finishing up the growing season in the Pacific Northwest, went out and started scouting uh, properties and land throughout California, Southern California, working with uh, residential clients down there um, pre-COVID, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, started getting into doing uh, residential landscapes and doing uh, biological applications for them, balancing their soil. Um, how are you finding? How are you finding clientele? What does that look like? A uh, couple friends of mine who have been landscape architects in the area for the past uh, decade or so. Gotcha. And we all just networked through each other. Started helping them out with their projects and. Next thing you know, we're in beautiful Rancho Santa Fe and some very prestigious neighborhoods throughout San Diego and Southern Mm -hmm. California. And, uh, you know, you're seeing a lot of those private landowners using uh, copious amounts of fungicides, herbicides. Yeah. At uh, above or underneath the recommended rate and being able to transition them into an organic, biologically appropriate uh, soil remediation program has been very cathartic Mm. and really starting to see the difference and their response is just amazing the canary palms in southern california are riddled with fusarium oxysporum Mm -hmm. and we've seen great success in going in with the soil food web methodology 
uh, mineral balancing and everything, the amount of glyphosate that they've put down ends up uh, tying up a lot of their trace elements in the soil. Oh, interesting. Collecting soil reports from that, balancing the mineral content first, and then coming in with biological applications and seeing a very quick uh, response in the above ground plant growth. Mm-hmm. So that for a while, and then after uh, you know all hell broke loose, came back up here, and I had been leasing a half acre of uh, it was an urban farm site, just really an empty half acre lot in northeast Portland. We broke ground in early March, oh mid March or so, and uh, now we're running a community garden for the local neighborhood. Nice, and uh, giving away a lot of the produce and working on creating a CSA model there. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about because I, I, this is a small part of crop science component of my horticultural education back when I was at Cal Poly. And in 2000, 2004, they were already talking about the fact that when you feed with heavy chemical fertilizers, particularly heavy, heavy nitrogen chemical fertilizers, how does that throw off the carbon nitrogen ratio and really break down the soil structure just in like a broad brush stroke? Does it cause the, the way that I understood it is it causes a proliferation of nitrogen consuming organisms to proliferate, to rapidly consume the nitrogen that's being applied as well as the nitrogen in the soil. And it leaves behind uh, a lopsided carbon nitrogen ratio that destroys the structure of the soil. Is that correct? So, yeah, not only is the process of creating the nitrogen that they use via Haber-Bosch process totally uh, fuel consumptive. Mm -hmm. This is pulling atmospheric nitrogen into usable forms of solid matter. Yes. Uh Uh, Just the creation of the fertilizer in and of itself is not ecologically friendly. Mm -hmm. And then when that nitrogen goes into the soil, a very small piece of it is actually held in uh the soil matrix Mm -hmm. most of it goes into the groundwater so you have that issue um a lot of those fertilizers are heavy in sodium so now you're increasing the uh, amount of sodium on the cation exchange capacity of the soil which ends up uh decreasing the presence of calcium magnesium potassium Mm -hmm. all of the other real key components of a healthy soil so the and salt actually occupies the cation exchange site? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so sodium, uh, well, yeah, I guess it makes sense. So sodium would have a charge. Worst case scenario, and I'm going to put this out there and say it, is what we've realized is actually happening is the uh, crop advisors that work in this area who are employed by the fertilizer companies mm. have a process where year one, they suggest putting down copious amount of fertilizer. Year two, they recommend putting down gypsum. Gypsum is specifically used by many of us crop consultants to leach out excess fertilizer. Mm-hmm. So if you see where I'm going with this, it's a it's a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. And it just pads the dollars of the fertilizer companies. And this is their system. So they'll sell you gypsum one year, then they'll sell you a bunch of fertilizer the next year, mm. and then they'll sell you more gypsum. Mm-hmm. Instead of actually creating an, a, a balanced program that has the farmer's best interests in mind. Yeah. When in fact they're looking at what is probably somewhere in the ballpark of 3 million acres as uh, just a revenue source. Wow. So, you know, it's destroying the ecosystem all around that place and 
I don't need to tell you all of the other ramifications of this program. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a shame to see that. So if we can get in there with some good practices and it's really nice to see government funding being made available and working with the municipalities to, uh, regenerate this agricultural model. It's nice to see, even if you look at the local, uh, ag magazines in this area, they're starting to be a lot more organic forward. So the transition is taking place. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just takes more people with the science and the tools to be able to make the change that's necessary. Yeah. And it, ta- and it takes the, it. the time for it to work out and prove that it's effective. I would imagine there's a lot of people that are so hesitant because, yeah. because in the transition, I would imagine that there has to be a loss for, for at least a moment. There's a sacrifice of some sort, I would imagine, but maybe... It's actually interesting. Um we don't need, and this is, I think, the biggest misconception is that to make the switch from conventional agriculture to organic, that there needs to be fallow periods, uh, there needs to be some crop or harvest loss for a year or two. N- no. Mm. In fact, uh, we have some data that shows we come in, we drop the soil EC. Uh, they can keep on with their program just as they were because I absolutely understand their logic. As a mm-hmm. farmer, you don't want to change a thousand things. You're feeding your family based off Scary. of this. This is these trees are walnut trees are 25 years old, yeah, at least, yeah, if not older, and they're not producing for seven to ten years. So you make a mistake, you're not redoing it. As much as the same with these bonsai. These bonsai yeah. trees are even much older than that. So we come in with just a very simple adjustment. We can work with the existing paradigm and they're starting to see some very substantial yield increases you know i'm glad that you came back to talk about it we've been trying to do this for a while actually but we've both been going different directions and a lot of people have asked you know because because it was a it was a tough experiment that we ran here at mirai and 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 uh and was not successful you know and you're having success in every other aspect of how you're using the soil science knowledge from the soil food web and everything else. And I think even, you know, looking back on our text that I sent you and Dr. Ingham where I'm like, Hey, <laughs> bonsai trees, they're going to be different, you know? And like, I think we knew, I knew, I knew deep down, uh, that I had to be very careful with the information and yep. you definitely said that before we ever even started on this is that this is not any other crop, right? you've ever worked with right yeah it, it, it is unique and i think um it is so tempting because bonsai is challenging we're swimming upstream already by confining the root environment in a shallow gravity column yeah. you're putting so much emphasis on every element that goes into that container and uh you know concentrations of it and timing of it and state of the plant and stuff and it just um yeah i wanted to believe that it would be I want to believe, as anybody wants to believe with bonsai, that there is a miracle cure for all problems. And it sounds like increasing the microbial activity in the container is that miracle cure. And I still, I still do believe that. And uh, I don't, the, I'm so adamant after everything I've seen from Bonsai Mirai and everything else bef- in my life before this and since then. There is no silver bullet. Mm-hmm. Orthodoxy is the downfall of so many different aspects of our mm-hmm. society and science. Um, Philip Callahan, the uh, creator of paramagnetism, said, uh, paraphrase, 
science is not the facts, it's the pursuit of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of us would have said, oof, this is a touchy subject. Let's not talk about it anymore. Mm-hmm. And we're going to sweep this one under the rug, which again, I'm just so happy to be back here mm-hmm. really having this the, a hard conversation about it yep. and saying, hey, I mean, uh, you know, the protocol that we use across the board is we come in with a new crop. Maybe it's even almonds to walnuts or blueberries to raspberries, something mm-hmm. very specific change. Let's start with a test block. Yeah. Let's see how this specific varietal, your specific soil really responds. We see a little bit of work. We're in no hurry. Mm-hmm. Let's not uh, you know, screw the entire program by going too big. Yeah. And um, you know, we definitely deviated from that plan and we got really excited and we did the whole darn kit and caboodle all yeah. at once. Yeah. But um, absolutely, 100%, you're right, there is no silver bullet. And we need as many elements of quantification as we can muster. Mm-hmm. So uh, over the past year, increased to tissue analysis, gotten much more into mineral balancing along with saturated paste. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time, our biggest issue was we need one cup of dirt to send to a mineral laboratory to be able to take an accurate uh, sample to be able to get an idea how much calcium, magnesium, mineral content across the board, NPK, you name it. Uh, we were hand, t- we were fighting with two hands tied behind our can't back in yeah, that regard. Can't do it. We were past the repotting season. Exactly. Yeah. So we're flying blind. Yeah. We're sitting around being like, I have no idea. And we really saw that the plants were hungry. We had a foliar recipe that we came in with, and you said they responded fantastically to a a 50% dose of fish and kelp. Mm-hmm. And what happens inside of the soil food web, and this is, an, you know, in defense of soil food web, um, a, a, it gets a lot of bad reviews when we go one foot in and we only kind of do soil food web stuff. And if you only have the lower trophic levels, which the va- as far as I've seen, soils and compost across the West Coast at least, not further, are predominantly just bacteria and fungi. Mm-hmm. You're lucky to even have any kind of other trophic level, meaning the uh, protozoa and nematodes that are actually consuming the bacteria and fungi. And without those pieces of the puzzle, you're in fact tying up and you're immobilizing a lot of the nutrition in plants. So there's probably many things happening inside of these pots, but one mechanism by which I'm proposing is that without these higher trophic levels, we're actually robbing the bonsai plant of the finite amount of mineral availability, nutrient availability it has access to. Mm -hmm. As the metabolism of fungi, especially bacteria, is paramount. And the material we were adding was upwards of 2,000 micrograms per gram of bacteria. And inside of a, 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 a media that is predominantly roots in a very good specimen, there's a finite amount of, of nutrient content there. Yeah. And I know they were, you know, they were low fed and going into that. We, and so what I've made uh, definitely part of everything Cure Soil Consulting has been doing and urging friends and family and clients and everybody else is that while bringing in the soil biology, let's not disregard the fundamental foundation of what we know to be the, the mineral principles mm-hmm. of soil. And based off of William Albrecht and a world of different soil science that we all eat off of every single day, 
that it may be null and void of soil microbiology, but it still grows a good crop. Mm-hmm. Still gets everything to market. Albeit, yes, there's a, a lot more pest pressure that does come with that. There's a lot more pathogen issues, but fundamentally speaking, um, you cannot disregard that piece there. And not, and we couldn't even look at it. Mm-hmm. We had no idea what was taking place inside of the soil, and especially that first application of uh, biocomplete compost was, uh, you know, what, what we're really seeing too. And actually I ran another experiment on commercial landscapes in, uh, grass lawns outside in front of bank sites and different commercial operations throughout Portland, Oregon. Uh, their soil column is very similar to yours, three to six inches. Yep. And we had a fantastic presence of bacteria and fungi. Mm-hmm but we saw very little nematodes and protozoa because there's no glue on the protist or the nematode keeping it in that shallow soil column. So with irrigation, as you have to do with bonsai on a daily basis, as they had to do multi, multiple times a week with their uh, you know, commercial sites, you're flushing out any nematode that isn't glued on. Well, the bacteria and fungi stick because they have those glues and mm-hmm. will hold them in place but um, if we can't keep those higher trophic levels there, then we have a real issue. Now, they, they did all right in those sites because they were nutrient-rich. They're coming in with triple 20 fertilizer, like a 20-20-20. All these reports were through the roof because they're being managed by conventional landscape folks. So, um, well, but, but, so they were applying 20-20-20 and had tremendous fungal and bacterial levels. No, well, they were, they were applying that. Sorry, they were applying that prior to us taking over the sites oh. and beginning the process <clears throat> of um, inoculation of soil mm-hmm. microbiology. So as we went into that transition, um, not only did we begin to apply organic fertility in the form of fish, crab, kelp, other organic inputs that kept the nutrient level up, and simultaneously, we're coming in with the biology. So, yeah, a lot of it is being gobbled up by the bacteria fungi, but still they're they're getting their nutrient dose. They're mm-hmm. getting their – what was the metaphor we used like a year ago? It was like they have their hot bar at Whole Foods. Whole Foods hot bar. Yeah, yeah they're not ready to cook for themselves yet, but right. at least they've got some but food But it's, it's, it's good nutrient yeah. content. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think the bonsai container – because we start out with the same discussion anytime I start working with some new theory about bonsai, which is um, that the, you know, the simple sponge test of you lay a sponge down and you fill it with water and then you stand it on its edge and all the water runs out of the sponge. And it's like, well, this is a bonsai container this gravity column and the granular structure of the soil and the limited amount of organic matter because you have to maintain movement of water in an impaired watering system right the shallow soil column this man creates a lot of challenge um that's an understatement yeah yeah but also the 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 rapid amount of irrigation and i and i just started thinking like I started thinking really intensely about how has japan cultivated bonsai for so long with what I would assume is uh, a lot more dogma 
and a less lesser degree of actualized scientific information, and yet they've still had a lot of success. Of course, there is a lot of necessity for chemicals in Japan, which mm -hmm. would say that some of that success in fertilizing practices and whatnot hasn't necessarily been as successful because there's so much pressure. Is that pressure intuitive to this constricted environment that inherently is reducing the vigor of the tree intentionally so to control the proportion of growth? Mm -hmm. And you start to kind of like try to weigh all of this out when you start talking about this. And I think the thing that was seductive about the soil food web is if we can, um, you know, the, the notion that if we could boost and build fungal content to a degree and have all the trophic levels of, um, you know, these microorganisms in the container, that there's a point where you wouldn't even have to apply external input to it, which, which I think what it sounds to me like now is you're recognizing that mineral balancing is going to always be a necessary component At, through the transition, especially through the, the fundamental transition phase when it has not been present to the point that it is. Um, a couple questions. One, what did, uh, bonsai farming, what do we call it? Bonsai cultivation, garden? cultivation, mm -hmm prior to the industrial revolution, prior to the access to chemicals do, um, that begs the question. Um, and I would love to hear, let's start there even mm -hmm. like what, wh how, what were their practices prior to, uh, sulfur coated urea being available? Well, I don't think that even in Japan that they use chemical for, I mean, I'm sure there are some growers that do, and I'm sure there's some methodologies, but I would say by and large, uh, Japanese fertilizers are still primarily uh, organic-based fertilizers. Oh, interesting. So yeah. I think like miracle Grow and Osmocote and sort of the commercial manufacturers of fertilizer that have found their way into Western bonsai, I don't know anybody in Japan that's using miracle Grow or an equivalent on a bonsai tree there. I the, don't think it using exists. Like a feather meal or... They would what? be using um, rapeseed cakes would be their backbone of fertilizer in Japan. And in, in the Western world, the way that the oil is extracted from rapeseed is typically a petroleum extraction methodology, mm -hmm. which makes the byproduct not suitable for agricultural purposes uh, or less suitable, let's say. Um, and, you know, the we just had a one of my mentors that um, started the Pacific Bonsai Museum up in uh, Federal Way, Washington. Dave DeGroot was the original curator. Mm. And he was saying after like 30 years of doing bonsai in the Pacific Northwest, um, he's now so, and he had uh, the Weyerhaeuser lab at his disposal to do all of the tests over the course of his time. Weyerhaeuser? Weyerhaeuser, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Over the course of time trying to figure out doing bonsai in what I'm recognizing and I think a lot of people recognize is a wonderful place to grow plant material, obviously, for all of the reasons in the Pacific Northwest and also incredibly yeah. challenging. Right. With its own set of circumstances that are very difficult, right? right. Just right. the same as I found that on the central coast of California was phenomenal and incredibly challenging. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so Interesting, when, yeah. Yeah. So when you start to look at this, he started to recognize that we have, you know, you talked about and you tested the Akadama pumice lava substrate and Akadama specifically. 
and it had a high potassium content before we ever put a tree in it. We mm -hmm. knew this from the beginning right. because we tested, we had Logan Labs analyze the raw substrate. That's right. Okay, so we knew that we already had high potassium. I think there was an error in the compost being applied because you knew there was high potassium and the compost was high potassium. Yes. That was a problem. Okay, hang on. Yeah. Hang on. Hold on to that thought. <laughs> okay, and then Dave DeGroote, what he started uh, talking about when he was down here a few weeks ago, and I said, you know, potassium seems to be an issue for us is he said, well, you got to be careful about phosphorus too. Listen, phosphorus, when we're dealing with soft water that has an acidic pH naturally intuitive to the Pacific Northwest, high rainfall environment, phosphorus can have real issues. And so I started like mm -hmm. thinking about potassium. I started thinking about phosphorus. I started looking at how the potassium and phosphorus is affected by our water at Mirai, which goes from 6.5 to 6.2. And I have had some soil tests. It's pretty, that's great water. It's good, it's great yeah. water. It's why I live here. Yeah. But I have had some soil tests where there was no known pathogen for a tree that perished. And I had sent the soil off to be analyzed, but the acidity level in the soil was 4.2. So how do you go from having a 6.5 pH water source that has been tested over the course of the year and maintains stability to having a soil pH of 4.2 in two years of cultivation in a containerized environment, it has to be with the addition of organic material and the decomposition over time. That's the only thing that I can think. Uh, fertilizers can have that effect. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. so... And in fact, what we're really looking at across everything you just mentioned is... Uh, first thing that comes to mind is a calcium deficiency. Uh huh. Yeah. We're compounding the potassium issue. I see it already in every single soil that I look at. Mm -hmm. I very rarely, unless I, I don't deal with calcareous soils here on the West Coast. Right. So they're always calcium deficient. Uh, that's flocculating clays. That's creating these micro porosities that we're so very in need of, especially in a bonsai container with a shallow column. So that we actually have good soil structure being created. Right. And uh, that's the, the fundamental principle of mineral balancing based off of William Albrecht that is further exacerbated and is an increasing problem when sodium levels, potassium levels, mm -hmm. magnesium levels go through the roof. Okay, so... Interesting. And, now we're really yeah, you know, so, making some headway. So now we're here, right? Then this is where... Yeah. I, this is where I wasn't ready to have this conversation with you, number one, because I was very upset. It, um not upset at not blaming Ian Hunter, not blaming Soil Food Web, not blaming Dr. Ingham for not being willing to come talk, not blaming Casey and Keisha, blaming myself because I knew. Because I knew and I've known and I've continued to know that bonsai is unique. This garden is very valuable. Uh, I have used it as a test subject in a grand way on multiple occasions, and I've always been able to pull up before I crashed into the mountain. Yeah, And I did it again this time, but I don't want to do that anymore. And I knew going into this that that was a potential issue. Now, always when you almost touch death, right, you come away with a significantly greater amount of experience and knowledge. And this is where it has forced me to be extremely educated and strategic about how I've responded. Right. And I think what's come from that is the knowledge of the potassium, the knowledge of the phosphorus, looking at water pH, which is a constant question that people are asking me as a bonsai practitioner that does have a horticultural background and has opened these conversations with, with people like you that have a proven track record of success in every horticultural 
endeavor outside of bonsai. Right. And right. I have to be the interpreter of this information and how it crosses over from your success to success in the shallow containerized environment and be very gentle and delicate and extremely uh, diligent in my filtration of that information. Right. Well, and we talked about this before too, is the sweet spot is this is sniper specific. Mm -hmm. There's yeah. such a small amount of it. And yes, it looks like drastic failure if missed by just an inch. Uh -huh. You don't know you hit the target at all. But in fact, I think in the pursuit of knowledge, it's such a, it's a fantastic opportunity to be able to figure out how it works because we deal with in soils, you have really nice cation exchange capacity above 10 you know, percent organic matter and everything's cruising. There's a huge room for error and farmers can sort of put on a little too much or a little too little. You guys are not afforded that luxury. Yeah. Well, and I think, but I also think it's where I don't regret going as big as we did with the compost extract because I have 900 trees here that are now the test subject. And I've been able to draw yeah. very specific correlations across very large subject matter. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and that has been valuable because I don't think I would be any farther along if we had done a little test subject group. So they're, well, they're, they're I beg to differ with that a little bit. I, I know, think. I know. Hang on, I'm not done yet. So <laughs> when when we talk about this and the way that I've moved forward is I was not willing to digress to um what I still do believe was your analysis that there are whole foods and there are junk foods right? I don't know that I totally subscribe to Biogold being bad because Biogold has, has always mm. produced a very positive result. I think that your initial soil samples of Bonsai Mirai came after the third wettest winter on record or the, excuse me, the mm. year after the third wettest winter on record. Right. And we're dealing with trees that were coming out of a heavily chemically fed uh, origin as plant material and in transition into bonsai subjects in the mm. black pines that were field grown. Um, they were actually injector fed with every watering through the entire course of their cultivation prior to coming here the year before. Injector fed with? Chemical fertilizer. Oh, wow. So, so there is a high bacterial content. There is a decomposition of the soil structure that I'm recognizing does come with the water pH that we have and the lack of calcium yep. and the offset of high potassium and phosphorus that I've been continuing to apply in a nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium balanced, albeit organic feed still doesn't help when you're adding more phosphorus mm -hmm. and potassium. And so when Dave DeGroote came down and talked about, he said, listen, I look at Japan and their rapeseed as their basis for fertilization and the equivalent in the Western world is cottonseed meal. So he's been mixing cottonseed meal with, uh, with yeast and pumping it through a sausage extruder so that he gets the com compression to make fertilizer cakes and not put powder on the, you know, or dust or fine particles to clog up those oxygen spaces in the shallow soil column. Right, right. And now all of a sudden he has a cottonseed cake that is very low in phosphorus, very low in potassium, does have quite a bit of nitrogen. And he said his trees... In 30 years of cultivating bonsai in the Pacific Northwest are by far and away the healthiest they've ever been because he's not continuing to exacerbate the issues that have contributed to the continual problems. Now, does he have, you know, protists and nematodes and all of the hyertrophic levels in addition to fungi and bacteria? I don't think so because the continued irrigation of the container is a problem, right? But... No, it's not out of the question that with continued irrigation and... 
proper practices that we cannot have, it remains unseen. It remains unseen, and it remains unknown if in. When you take your level, higher trophic levels, and you compare them to uh, a standard, more organic dominant soil medium like you would experience in the ground, and you try to correlate that science to the very aggregate nature of the bonsai container, which is necessary because of the decreased soil column and impact of gravity, it may change what the tree depends on. And it may change the manner in which the tree behaves. Now, would it, true. would it change the fact that those things would be awesome? Probably not. Those things would be awesome. Is it a reality in what we've engaged with in bonsai? Probably not. Probably not. You know, and when you start to look at that, you start to say, okay, so is a bonsai a little bit more of a similac? I think you called it a like a test tube uh, or, a, you know, like a. Yeah, like it's spoon fed. It's spoon fed. Is bonsai yeah. more of a spoon fed plant? Yes. It's almost a hydroponic system. It, you it, virtually have no soil. Exactly. Exactly. You are bare rooting. Mm. with a little bit of buffering capacity. I mean, Even you, Akadama is mostly hollow space. That's right. Akadama, eight, what'd you say, 8 to 10% organic matter, uh, you and, know, on the tubular, tubular structure. Yeah, like, so if, um, yeah. It's it is, it is. Low it, volumetric saturation of space. So in relation to what you're talking about uh, in regards to where the soil food web is effective and that knowledge does have direct application and is extremely tested to be effective, we are dealing with something that you're right is probably closer to hydroponic, although it's definitively not hydroponic. And let's make sure people understand that. Absolutely. It Absolutely. is probably closer to the inert growing medium of hydroponic uh, cultivation than it is to the elements where the soil food web is very highly effective and timed and, and tested and proven. I think you would, you would say container gardens. And we even say, uh, we do not want to try to apply soil food web technology to containers smaller than 40 gallons. And there that's just for an annual crop. Yeah. So the, the biggest piece I'm seeing, and this is, you know, uh, any scientist without a copious dose of humility is yeah doomed for the falls is uh what questions didn't we ask yeah and uh de Groot, who looked to say well what are the what are the old guys doing what is the original church doing sure and what we began to touch on when we talked about uh pulling the plants out of nature is what's that correlation what's going on let's look at the native uh the soil, what did you call it? There were bonsai plants that were brought in with their native soil. Yeah. And they were doing quite well. Well, and I, I, some I of those processes were. See, I think that was also misleading information. Mm. Uh, I think that that was, I think that that was misleading information because over the, over time in a bonsai container, that mountain soil will cause the decline and eventual death of a tree in the shallow environment. Right, because that soil is not used to being in a shallow environment. And it's not you're, used to being hydrated with the way that a bonsai container is hydrated. Yeah, you're so, taking any of us who are used to living in the Pacific Northwest and throwing us into the Sahara Desert, or or vice versa, or our normal society and throwing us all on a post-COVID pandemic world. Sure, yeah. you know, not everybody is making that transition so gracefully. Right, and so, it, and and this is where. 
when you and I started talking about doing this podcast and the discussion, and, and you had said this, you know, like we need the, we need the soil science to be able to answer this question. My biggest point to that is yes, Ian, that would be ideal, but there is a reality and that is, that's not possible. It's, it's possible on a scale of bonsai marae doing this. And I can tell you that every single tree over the course of this year, as I've continued to try and find a solution out of the shock factor of the compost extract and this tremendous nuke that we dropped in this very small space, right, right. every single tree has demanded something different. And in my 10th year of doing bonsai as a professional after six years of apprenticeship and, and almost you know uh, 15 years of doing it on my own prior to that, I, I am now more convinced that every single tree has a different issue than I've ever been in my entire life. Mm. And that is to say one tree performing an action that has a similar behavior to another tree is not to say that those behaviors are linked to the exact same thing. Well, very interesting. And that's a nice segue for this, this piece I was excited to share is the, the one element that we never got to apply in uh, 2019 was the endo ectomycorrhizae piece. Mm -hmm. And there's specific correlations that we can find with native soils and all of the genus and species that you work with and say, hey, it's found that this genus and species of ectomycorrhizae is found to work quite well with Acer palmatum mm -hmm. or any other different species that you have out here and to begin to lean on that specificity. So now there's the culmination of, well, we can take the uh, rapeseed patties from the old world practice. Now what happens if we just bring in everything about bonsai is absolutely sniper. Uh, compost in and of itself by nature is biologically diverse. It's a shotgun approach. Um, it that might not very well lend itself, and it appears that it does not, to uh, this transition. Yeah, definitely So saying not. this genus and this species has this mechanism on this host plant, now let's start to play with that. And that's why I say that, um, you know, it's a shame that we went so gangbusters but out you... the gate because we would have been able to simply say, all right, we're not going to be overtly intimidated because really, and this is, like I've seen this a lot in a lot of applications is somebody says, oh, apparently you can brew a compost tea with quote unquote compost and it's supposed to have all these amazing effects. Nobody used a microscope to even see that that was the case. And even in some cases they're like, all right, well, we're just going to come in with this compost tea from a verified source that's, you know, quote unquote biologically complete and has all these levels that we verified with the catalyst is amazing product been using it across the board and all the other clients everybody's very happy with it um if you just stop there at that one application uh you know it's the same thing as it's like a first date that you don't follow up yeah and all of a sudden that relationship sort of dwindles off that um had we and <clears throat> even seen it in the other the closest similar application i can say to bonsai and ironically enough is a mutual friend of ours is these commercial landscape spots is it's a it's less than six inches soil column and six months of application 
granted, multiple applications, more than we saw with bonsai mirai, we had a fantastic establishment of bacteria and fungi mm-hmm. in what it was prior to any application. We still, after nine months, did not see any of the higher trophic levels. So we just stopped one foot in. Now, once you get those good, what really, what the mechanism really probably was is the bacteria and fungi robbed all the nutrients from the plants. And on top of that, any good compost, no matter how perfect it is, is still going to have latent uh, fungal pathogens, bacterial pathogens. But when it's brewed or made in an aerobic environment, you're catering only to the aerobic species. Mm-hmm. You put it into a shallow soil column with a high watering frequency. Now that's more or less an anaerobic environment. And those bad guys are going to wake up. Mm-hmm. Those uh, plant pathogens are going to come to the surface. And that is probably what's most responsible for this. So in, in bonsai, maybe we can't use a broad spectrum, uh, biologically complete compost. Mm-hmm. Maybe we have to say, Hey, this genus and species of ectomycorrhizae might be a great, let's try one plant with this mm-hmm. and see how it does with this species it is labor intensive, which is the nature of everything that you guys do, you know, and it's in yeah, keeping it with the spirit and the art of the whole thing. And, and personally, as a scientist, I, I love it. Mm-hmm. I want to know how 50,000 different genus and species operate. And I beg Elaine to, you know, I think she knows more than she's even letting on. We're like, oh, this Bacillus megatarium's got us a couple tricks up its sleeve. And there's probably all sorts of other unpublished pieces of information that are out there. And really excited to start working into the realm of genomics where we can, in fact, send in a soil report and say, hey, I, I want to do a PCR test or a quantitative PCR test, and I'm looking for this gene. Mm-hmm. Not only can you tell me is this gene there, how much of this gene is there? Yeah. And that gene has this mechanism. It's responsible for this. And we can uh, work backwards from that and say, well, this is what we need to have happen inside of uh, Acer palmatum. Yeah. That it has a susceptibility to this problem. So what can we do to offset that? Well, this, it's hyper-specific and this, it's totally the, labor-intensive, but... The, but that's a great segue into just kind of rewinding because we've kind of come full circle to the notion that trying to utilize the native characteristics, fungi, bacteria, and presence of microbial activity in the field soil that was collected out of an air environment in the Rocky Mountain granite slabs and utilize that as information for how we try and create an environment in a shallow container filled with Akadama pumice and lava you might not have, and, and chances are the chances are very high, you don't have a condition that will facilitate the growth of that same microbial activity that existed in the mountains and allowed it to survive. And, and let's just be really honest, it's half dead when we collect these trees in the mountains, so they're not mm-hmm. doing well, right. right? Yeah, they're not They're vibrant. barely alive, and that's yeah. why we're like, that looks freaking awesome. Let's yeah. put this in a containerized environment, and the vascular growth and productivity that we see when we take those trees out of the mountains and just give them a little water and nutrition is that they put on an exponential amount of vascular tissue and they start changing their foliar characteristics towards, oh, I've got a lot more resources and now I can be a bigger tree. That's actually a really, I mean, that's a Cinderella story. It's a Cinderella story until it tips to the point where they become gluttonously fat and entitled and things start slipping the other way and they can't keep up with the burn rate of what's happening inside of that new system and they don't have the fallback of the microbial buffer 
to be able to keep them uh, sustainably alive. And that's when we see the catastrophic meltdown. And, you know, when you start to look at this and you think about the metaphors that I could draw off of that. Right. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. It's very, it's very, very congruent. Right. And in society, humans and and plants are not that far apart. No. Viruses and the whole. Yeah, absolutely. And so all of a sudden, when we start looking at this and you think about what is, and I had to really recognize, like, do I want to go down to the genome of Acer palmatum? And I don't, I don't, Hmm. I don't want that. I don't don't think anybody wants that. I'm as a plant geek, as like a super hardcore plant geek, I could get into it. I would read all the scholarly articles about it. I would play part in that. Does that help bonsai practitioners and this practice of trees in this abnormal environment that is not necessarily designed for success, but artistically allows these trees to have a greater capacity to communicate? Does Do I need to find a more common language to be able to communicate as what I do view myself as a translator of information and a bridge of the common botanical, physiological, and horticultural community to the world of bonsai. Yeah. And I think what it comes back down to is sort of a much bigger buffering capacity of the techniques we choose to apply to create the systems that will function for the broadest amount of people, trees, and conditions inside of this container. Well, that's the problem that we run into is... Uh, even with companies, even with marketing ad- advertising issues, is you would like to reach a very large group. So you uh, you make generic your your pitch and your message, but it has less specificity to every person that it reaches. And next thing you know, you're Home Depot. Yeah. Um, you know, and, but and there's a middle this, ground and there is absolutely there's the hot bar at whole foods. <laughs> there's the home cooked. You raised it yourself on the food you provided on the grass that you grew and you slaughtered it yourself and you kept it yourself and you prepared it yourself. And then there's McDonald's and we don't have to get. And in fact, it sounds a lot more daunting than I think it really is, is we're talking about cedars and we come in with rhizopogon. I'm going to butcher this. Velosuus, uh, ectomycorrhizae. Mm-hmm. And that's going to probably work for cedars and a bunch of different pine trees sure. and have a great effect. Does it have to be that rhizopogon species? No, let's put a couple of them in there. Maybe 50% of them die out. Sure. But all you need is 10% of I mean, one of those. I mean, not maybe, probably. Spo- right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so there's, you know, there's a middle ground there. But um, it's more so than saying, hey, here's a, a, a Mirai-based fertilizer su- supplement for the entirety of any uh, deciduous or coniferous tree that yeah, you no, have. Yeah, no, I think you would... Uh, like, here's for your pines, here's for your cedars, here's for your everything deciduous. I'm even less... So I'm even less motivated to try and create something specific for pines, and I'm even more motivated to create something specific for a water pH. <clears throat> now, Be- that's a great point. Water this, is paramount across absolutely. the board. And if I think we can get that back to basic, uh, that's the biggest problem in agriculture, honestly. You can, well, you can balance me, the soil overnight, but... And, like, pull me, and pull this back to, okay, I'm going to go look at, and I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going to reference our conversations about potassium. I'm going to reference my conversation with Dave DeGroote about phosphorus. I'm going to reference the research I've done about 
a magnesium, calcium, zinc deficiency as the big three that would cause the kind of tip necrosis that I'm seeing across certain species of junipers, but not all juniper, right? Yeah. So, so I, you, so you have all these mixtures. I've got all of these trees that are in different states. What is the one commonality? The soil is the same. What is mm-hmm. the one commonality across bonsai across the world that we have accepted that Akadama pumice and lava is the modern substrate that gives us the best chance of success? Bonsai are being grown at a higher quality of cultivation, a higher aesthetic actualization because of that cultivation than ever before on that modern substrate. And what is the now, what is the, uh, the, um, the variable? What is the variable? Water. Water is the variable. I'm so glad we're back here having this conversation and the amount of information that I'm sure you gathered since our last meeting Mm -hmm. and that I'm happy to say I have too. And with the recent paradigm shift, it has allowed us to allocate more time to research. Yeah. And every- there has been more time. That's true. That's very interesting. And give thanks. You know, it seems like uh, necessity is the mother of invention. If I hadn't had the time, I don't know that we would have pulled up from hitting the mountain, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Like to some degree, the, the quarantine and stuff decreased the necessity to continue hammering and just be able to pull back. And oh, you were on planes to Sweden, Germany. You know, yeah. South Africa, Brazil, and now yeah. finally we all sit still for a minute. Mm-hmm. I was the same way. I was yeah. up and down the western seaboard all over last winter. Doesn't it, sound like it's changed much, though. It sounds like you've still been busy, but but I want to yeah, come yeah. back because when Please, you yeah. stepped out, we were talking about what were the uh, what were the questions we didn't. Oh ask? yeah, yeah. What was I trying to accomplish? Yes. Yeah. I want to before we come back to where we were at and where we're at now. What I wanted to accomplish. Uh, so I'm I, I'm I'm interested in I'm interested in the specific nuances to a large degree, but I think more than anything, the lack of a significant soil column and the lack of gravity's impact on bonsai cultivation has led me to want to figure out where are my boundaries. Where are my boundaries Mm. of needing microbial activity? Where are my boundaries of getting away without having the same microbial activity? Because ideals of horticulture are great, and we blow up the system of ideals by putting them in that containerized environment, and now we're talking about necessities. Yeah. And and, Yeah, you don't have the same ecological ramification. There's no bonsai garden that's going to destroy the water system. Right, exactly. You just don't have that You're correct. And so this is where, when we start to talk about the soil food web in the bonsai cultivation, and you're saying now we don't apply it to anything smaller than a 40-gallon container. Okay, cool. Now we've started to orient and recognize that although that grand idea of the soil food web, and although there are components of it that are incredibly important and very applicable, we have just started to create a boundary where we recognize how we translate this into bonsai cultivation. We understand that endo and ectomycorrhiza would be awesome. We understand that the higher uh, trophic levels would be amazing to have. We don't know that that is potentially possible. We understand the limitations of the modernly accepted soil substrate, which is Akadama pumice lava, or potentially solid Akadama, depending on the species. And now we start to uh, hone in on a very uh, small number of variables. Obviously, environmental conditions, yes, but we're not talking about uh, you know sandy loam versus highly impacted clay versus uh, you know a completely inorganic. We know what we're dealing with. 
In the modern mm-hmm. world, we know what we're dealing with and we know the variable is what kind of supplemental nutrition in terms of fertilizer do we put on it and what type of water in terms of the water quality and the water limitations or characteristics are we applying it. That's where it matters now. And what's our jumping off point? What's in rapeseed? Let's but, take that but, but, product. But, and- but that's not even jumping off point. Jumping off point is the soil that we put the plant in when we zero out the microbial existence, right? Because ultimately we're trying to transition out of the native soil. So that cannot factor in, although there is a transition time that is very delicate. You're never leaving the microbial element. I tested the soil prior to any inoculum we ever did. You absolutely have biology present. That's not true. That's not true. I'm going to call your bluff on that because you tested several pieces that you said this is a wasteland. Oh, yeah. There were fungal pathogens present in a lot of the, um, what was the 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 fertilizer you were using? Oh, in BioGold. No, in no, Bio no, no. Gold, yeah. No, you tested soil, and I'm going to go back to the last soil test that you took where there were soil samples that you took out and you looked under the microscope and you didn't find anything. You literally did not find anything, and you said this is like a a, a a desert. This is a microbial desert, was how you put it. Yeah, I found bacteria, okay. and only bacteria. So we're we're never in a sterile environment, but we we lacked any diversity whatsoever, right. and just so one- that so that is the starting point of every tree when we move it into this domesticated soil from a more microbial-rich mountain soil. Now, we never totally vacate the presence of mountain soil. We have a slow transition over the course of time, and this is conifers now, right? Right. We never bear root. We never wash the root. We always leave some portion of the native soil in in the initial repot and move into a bonsai container. With that, we hope, with the correct balance of water and oxygen, we facilitate root exudates, which facilitates the spore form of the beneficial fungi and bacteria to now proliferate. And mm-hmm. we hope with the addition of organic content in the form of nutritional solid fertilizers on the surface that we provide a food source for decomposition to take place and the expansion of our microbial activity. Okay, mm-hmm. this is this is ideals that we're talking about in bonsai. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I, would, I would love to, at, at some point, let's... Let's talk about what I would see to be the ideal microbial rich environment, and how I would we love would to make know that. that. Yeah. I would love to know that. This is we'll a goal get to now. That. Okay, yeah. this is a goal. Okay, so this is the necessity of solid fertilizers. Okay, and now we're going to come back to the hydrolysate kelp and whatever else we add, whether it's Epsom salts or CalMag or uh, inoculant mm-hmm. uh, humic acids. We're going to come back to that. Okay, right, let's right. just talk about. We have a mountain soil that has microbial activity. We've moved it into a recovery container. Okay, we now with that recovery taking place in solid pumice and fertilization, we have a tree in a state where it has domesticated soil, a greater photosynthetic mass with expansion of needles, health to take on the actions of bonsai, and we move it into the bonsai container. This is the first move into the constricted gravity column. Okay, now we're in the Akadama pumice lava and some portion of that mountain soil. We're working hard for that mountain soil to inoculate that domesticated Akadama pumice lava with microbial activity. Mm, we're going to cultivate yes, and we're going to cultivate this tree in that state for a few years 
and try to come back and repot it and remove the remaining mountain soil out of it, knowing it is not going to be successful in this shallow soil column. And we're going to try to hit that before the mountain soil starts causing uncontrollable problems. Okay. <laughs> so now we're hoping that the microbial activity has passed to the Akadama pumice and lava. <laughs> We've, we have this really fine root system that we've cultivated because of the aggregate uh, structure of the soil and the Akadama with its tubular structure, the unicorn, as we've called it, right? Mm -hmm. And now we remove all of the core of that uh, mountain soil. We are now transitioned fully out and transitioned fully into Akadama pumice lava. This is Japanese bonsai as it is studied now. So when you start talking about that's the, 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 the orthodox cake. form of the transition. So if you're going to study yeah. Japanese bonsai and you're going to look at rapeseed, we're not seeing all of the errors in the transition of these very, uh, I would say, um, massive monumental moments in the tree's life. Okay, but in North American bonsai and European bonsai and South American bonsai and Australian bonsai and South African bonsai and all of these cultures that are just now recognizing and experimenting with these transitions, this is where all of us are, understanding the moments of transition. Japan, that was 30 years ago, okay? And prior to that, and you can say that a majority of the trees that existed and came out of the mountains in Japan probably didn't make it to this point because during those transitions, this is challenging. Mm -hmm. You're also taking samples, and, and, and we are talking about bonsai on a grand scale, but you're taking samples from a garden that is engaging almost solely with the transitional phases right now in the first 10 years of the most monumental shift from the mountain environment and that microbial activity to the containerized environment and this aggregate uh, community, okay? Right. So we have to keep this in mind. Now, in this process of this transition that we're trying to make, deciduous trees over here We'll wash all of the soil off of those roots, completely auger out the roots from underneath the trunk, form a laterally spreading root base in a shallow, ultra shallow environment, and we won't even worry about microbial activity. We'll put it in solid Akadama, we'll feed the living shit out of it, right, and just get it to perform as if it's a robot, conducting water through the high transpirational rate, big surface area, limited cuticle formation, right? Mm -hmm. This is the deciduous mm -hmm. model, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. So inside of all of these, when we look at rapeseed being utilized in Japan, it's from the model of having transitioned. It's from the model of a more robotic form of culture and development. And what we're seeing is we recognize the microbial activity might, might, might not make the transition from the mountain to the bonsai container, but there is a necessity for microbial activity to exist. We know the potassium content is there. We know the fertilizers that are available are a relatively balanced nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium as historically accepted, but we know that water becomes the big issue and what fertilizer we apply is now that factor. So when we zero out the transitional process, when we zero out the soil as one of the variables and we start talking about, okay, what do you want to accomplish, Ryan? Being able to develop components that allow us to address the variable of water pH and availability of nutrition in terms of what we do choose to apply. Those are the two goals. Okay? Yeah. High water pH, high water pH, how are we fertilizing to be able to unlock nutrition? How are we fertilizing to be able to deliver the resources? Lower water pH, okay? Hard water versus soft water because I recognize... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm that w we were, and let me just tell you what we've done at Mariah. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, I needed fungal activity and bacterial activity. I felt like we applied. Why did you? Why do you even think that you needed those? Um, because the soil samples that you were still taking at the end of last year were not saying that we had very much fungal success. Well, and and prior to arrival, that there were some bacterial concerns yeah or and and there were disease concerns okay you had some issues right so yeah absolutely so i'm thinking how have i stimulated microbial activity in the past i've inoculated so i i utilized a fertilizer called dr earth which has a lot of inoculants built into the fertilizer Mm -hmm. okay it helped me save the garden in 2014 when i did another one of these nuclear bombs it helped me save the garden this year okay so i'm utilizing now it's it's balanced Interesting. Nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. Okay, it's a balanced application. And we have a finite amount of genus and species microbiology present in that sample that we could take a look at. That's right. It's all isolated. So they're listed on the bag. You can understand what's in it. We know what we've added. This is where I did try to take control of the the test, right? Yeah. Okay, so Dr. Earth. Dr. Earth. Dr. Earth. I start seeing growth i start seeing things happen I, I start seeing things recover have a lot of different nutrient deficiencies in terms of colors banding striations weird shit happening high disease this spring worst disease i've ever experienced definitively a product of what happened last year uh you know as a carryover right okay right. And, and we already had a problem and it's a it's totally a compound it's a compounding yeah, issue I, and it will, we won't say that we had anything to do with the <laughs> remediating a solution right but yeah it was part of a myriad of events okay so i'm inoculating but i recognize that i already have a potassium issue and i'm applying a fertilizer that has a fairly high potassium content that is supposed to be deemed an inoculum not a fertilizer which is a huge mistake that a lot of people no 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 it's a a fertilizer with inoculants yes dr earth's life is okay oh sorry i thought you were talking about the compost no no uh no so 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 Dr. Earth, what I've been applying this spring was a fertilizer with an inoculant, but a fertilizer mm-hmm. with an inoculant that has a high potassium, okay? Because mm-hmm. I'm not going to go find another product that's just an inoculant and add another variable. Not interested. I right. know I have high potassium. I know I have sky high potassium. I'm going to continue to apply something that is a controlled variable and still deal with the potassium, okay? So I've continued to apply Dr. Earth. What if I told you uh, we have a mechanism by which we can remediate high potassium it's another variable man don't don't start fucking with my system hang on okay (laughs) Okay. this is where i don't want to go there all right right. i've got it i have to be able to clearly communicate this and mirai is the test subject i'm already this deep i'm not going to change okay yeah yeah all right so now i started applying the hydrolysate kelp and calmag solution because i am very it is very clear or root trench both and it is very clear to me that when i'm applying that potassium i don't have calcium and magnesium available okay Mm -hmm. it's very clear to me yep to uh, yes that and and i feel like we already were aware of that so this is not rocket science this is are you going to apply Soil this? science 101, yeah. Okay. So we started applying the fish, we started uh, the hydrolysate, the kelp, and the CalMag, okay? Mm-hmm. We applied one application of it to the garden. Everything responded beautifully. Juniper started growing for the first time out of having massive disease over the spring, right? Um, everything, the pines greened up, trees that were very nutrient deficient last year started showing green new growth this year, completely counter to how they produced growth last year. Okay, good. This is good. Let's apply another application four weeks later. 
We apply another application four weeks later. 90% of the garden responds well, but one species of pine completely changes color. Okay? So all of a sudden I'm saying, all right, Pinus flexilis, limber pine, has a little bit of a response to the change of pH that the CalMag was now uh, acting on the soil with. Was it the pH? That's even an assumption. It's a, it, well, if the pH of the water is stable and you're applying uh, kelp and fish hydrolysates, which we came back and applied a third application, void of the CalMag, and saw the color on the limbers improve. Mm. Okay, so now I'm saying the CalMag is the only variable. It's the mm. only variable that exists. There's no other variable. There's no solution to inoculate. There's nothing. Right. I can tell you that product is calcium carbonate, magnesium sulfate, and soy protein hydrolysate. Okay. So my assumption is pH, I could be wrong. Okay. But I know that the CalMag was the only variable and that that had an impact. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So then we let the garden sit. We let it sit. We had fertilized twice with Dr. Earth. We had given three applications of hydrolysate, kelp, two CalMag applications, and one without CalMag. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right? We let it sit. Junipers are growing. Pines are growing. Color is good. I, we came back, and we did a garden-wide feed of Dr. Earth life again. Okay? Garden-wide. Every tree got it. And... We saw necrotic tips form on junipers that had been growing without necrotic tips. There's no disease pressure. There's no uh, reason for this. But this has become a common issue that I'm seeing in my junipers. The shoots will elongate and the tip will die off. It will dry, fall off, and it will cause branching to occur. And if I continue to feed with Dr. Earth Life, I will continue to have necrotic tips form on each of those branching tertiary forms that start to grow uh-huh. so then i look into necrotic tips and this is what took me to zinc magnesium and calcium okay now is it a calcium deficiency is it a magnesium deficiency is it a zinc deficiency or have i created a chemistry that is just locking up the calcium locking up the magnesium or locking up the zinc whether it's available or it's there and not usable and it's there's a proportionality that takes place there is precipitation at different phs exactly yeah, exactly. That's a so, uh, that's a wormhole. Yes. So sure. now I'm in a slightly acidic but relatively neutral water. I have that's references great. of soil pHs that have become acidic with the addition of organic over the course of time. I've wow. added a lot of organic, and now I'm starting to see necrotic tips as a result of something that is happening. Do you guys ever do a pour through pH test where you water catch the water? We did. A, we did a little bit of it. We need to do it again. We need to do it again, and we need to do it again on, on trees that are showing those symptoms. This is uh, fresh as of two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Right. So I feel like what we're starting to recognize and where Dave DeGroote talking about cottonseed meal and thinking about the rapeseed and potassium and him cautioning on phosphorus and thinking that it could be con- solely potassium, but now recognizing it po- probably also as a phosphorus as well and thinking about sort of all of these things Uh I feel like I am, although each tree has a different variable, I feel like I am honing in on some broad brush strokes as to how do I get in the wheelhouse of functioning with a slightly acidic water. Well, I got to say this. Yep, go for it. Uh, This is the white elephant in the room is, um, you know, 
nitrogen deficiency can look like a lot of different things. Magnesium deficiency, uh, like yeah, of course. leaf tissue diagnosis. <laughs> no thanks. Like, oh my god! And I have people come at me and be like, "Hey, look at this leaf. What's wrong with it? Give me a test." We can do leaf tissue analysis. Uh, still, it's you know we suffer from the fact that there's such a finite amount of soil and leaf tissue available. Takes a lot to be able to perform the test. Um, you know, three words that you know from John Kempf to every 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 soil consultant is just test. Don't guess. Like it, we're just throwing darts in the dark. And sooner or later, something's going to happen. If you can't test what's going on, what's in the vascular tissue, what is in the soil, what is the soil microbiological climate, um, even further, instead of just microscopy based off of mor morphological characteristics, taking a genomic test to look at the specific genome present. I don't feel like, I don't feel like there is harm and disagreement. I don't feel like there's harm and disagreement. We both have ownership. I, I knew better. You knew better. And neither one of us was able to override our desire for this to be the best it could be. Yes. The best thing you can do is say no. Nine times out of ten is let's dip our toe in the water yep. and test it and see what happens. And I was hungry for I was hungry for my trees to be doing better. You know, I was willing, I was willing to make that attempt. For them to do better, I was, and 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 I knew better. I, excuse me, I absolutely knew better. Yeah, likewise, absolutely. That it was uh, all we needed was a statistical significance of a replication of five. Mm -hmm. God forbid ten, and that would have been plenty where we could have said, "Well, we saw this worked, saw this didn't." Yeah. Now let's play with this. Yeah. And we wouldn't have had a copious amount of valuable specimens that on 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 the chopping block, mm -hmm. and then we could really continue on. I'm a firm believer that had we continued on and said, "Okay, well, we see a lot of bacteria fungi present. There's no protists and nematodes. They completely gravitated out of the soil column. Let's come back with the protozoan infusion." Mm -hmm. And that is, and even. You know, energetically speaking, that's the nature of bonsai. Yeah. Is something so specific. You trim this branch, not that branch. Well, why do we think that a shotgun approach is going to apply yeah. in a uh, hyper-specific realm that is bonsai? Yeah. The two just do not apply. Yeah. But in a smaller test plot without this copious amount of inertia behind us, we would have been able to play around with that. Yeah. But we were all crippled with the anxiety of, oh my goodness, this is the entire garden. And that's yeah. and, and let's, yeah, we let's have deep. a let's <laughs> have some we, we compassion on ourselves as yeah. you know human beings and being like, holy shit, I'm puckered right now. Yeah. Well, and I and, and again, I think like uh it gave us the opportunity to grow and learn because we did go so deep. And there is uh, there is a benefit to that kind of commitment, and there's also you know, it's a double-edged sword. There's a benefit, and there's also a real downside to it. There and, is, and 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 we experience honestly, we've experienced both. Because what I hear you saying, and this is where this is where I kind of want to come to. Where, what I hear you saying, and really what I heard the product of the discussion being is, 
without mineral balancing to apply that much biology to a plant is something that is dangerous. And what I had heard prior to, and, and you can correct me if I'm no, wrong. No, I commend you for that observation. Okay. I cannot imagine anything more apparent, and it's a touchy subject. I won't disagree. This is inside of the world of soil food web, the need through the transitional period to have a nutrient balance take place, mm -hmm. uh, that raises a lot of issues. Yeah. And as this piece of evidence indicates, mm -hmm. you cannot make this biological transition without being aware of the mineral content. Yeah. And had we done that and been able to uh, couple the two together, yeah. Again, it's a renunciation of orthodoxy. Yep. Let's take every single possible tool we have available to us. This is not just bonsai. This is feeding the earth. Yeah. Yeah, and it sounded to me like, you know, and, and what I had understood is putting a lot of faith in the, in the root rhizosphere, the tip of the plant and the rhizosphere's ability to really control its environment and make the adjustments was where the theory and strategy of not necessarily needing to mineral balance, but leaving it to the, the plant system itself to dictate its environment did not work out for us. And that makes perfect sense right? because inside of a native soil, you have a lot of uh, unlocked uh, mineral content that is uh, immobilized, mm -hmm. not minerally available, and the biology can work on that media. Yeah. That is not the case with bonsai. Right. There's a finite amount of material to acquisition nutrient from, and it, and it's in, in an exacerbated case. We did we did not have the information available necessarily to mineral balance throughout that process, uh, and and we did not actually. We were just, it was, it was very biology forward mm. without the mineral aspect. Yeah. And everything that I think both of us have learned over the course of the past year mm -hmm. is that we need to incorporate as many different aspects of plant observation and monitoring through uh, human observation and soil testing, leaf tissue analysis to just try to get an idea of what that plant to is understand. experiencing. Yeah, to understand. Because yeah. let's face it, and this is the ultimate humility, and I think this is the backbone of any true seeker, is you just got to admit you don't know yeah. everything. Yeah. There's, and I don't claim that I do. Yeah. And that is why I am so science forward and testing forward to just say, give me a thousand different samples and let me try to find a commonality yeah, to sense. the chaos. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I, 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 I get that. I mean, I jumped on you earlier about that. I see where you're coming from. Um, and it's so hard because you're right. You did allow me to test the raw material inside of the Akadama. And in fact, we kind of, well, we said, oh, it's potassium forward. We sprayed some CalMag mm -hmm. that lacked a whole lot of specificity. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in the subsequent years and months that have passed since then, we're coming in with so much more specificity that is totally necessary. And, and in such an alarming case as bonsai, that's why I'm so fascinated by this art form. Yeah. Is because if we can get it to work here, 
where the sweet spot is so small, just imagine what we can do when we have a really large buffering capacity. Yep. Yeah, I think we talked about that initially. If 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 you can, bonsai is such a rapid responder. And and this was a, a constant dialogue between you and I is you were like, wow, I can't believe they responded that quickly. And it's like, no, it's Oh, it's epic. This is uh this is where I think a lot of scientific innovation can take place. And I think I've always aspired for Mirai to be a facility where that can happen and you roll the dice when you decide that that's an avenue that you want to go down in terms of not all scientific discovery happens because it worked well right you know and 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 i know that i have certainly advanced in my knowledge and it's it's forced me to study double time to really figure things out i think there's a lot of returning to the roots not not as like a pun but returning to the roots of knowledge of like really focusing on quality water application really focusing on um, knowing that bacterial content was high and oxygen levels were low, mm-hmm. taking the laborious approach of cleaning off the surface layer of compacted soil that probably did break down because of, you know, potential nutrient deficiencies or compromises in the trophic levels of the microbial activity. Yeah. You know, I think I, I think that's real. I believe that. Uh, and, and I see it when I go into the containers. It's obvious. Right. You can see probably the difference between a three-inch and a six-inch container. Yep. Yep. And I think moving forward, there's a f- there's let's say only what we absolutely know. The sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Uh, we know that adding calcium to soil and having somewhere in the ballpark of sixty percent saturation helps flocculate the clay. Mm-hmm. Helps flocculate whatever that soil column is. Adds oxygen that is in finite supply, and we also know that. All the roots of the plants that you're growing need oxygen to live. Yeah. So let's start with getting to the point of what's the calcium balance. Mm -hmm. We also know that in native habitat, ectomycorrhizal species, very specific, and we can get down to genus and species, work very well with this species of plant. Let's take one specimen that is not of high value and let's play with that. Mm-hmm. We can come in with a few products and have a a very amount of isolated variables and begin to look at that. That's how science works. That is the scientific method. We isolate a variable as much as possible. And still in ecological systems, it's kind of, you know, futile to even try to do that. But we can do that to our best of our abilities. Sure. And then maybe we can find out over elongated period. Like science is, and, and let's face it, we're both, you know, very passionate, artistic people about no. what it is that we do <laughs> and our approach. And, and if we fall on that side, if of you the don't fence, know now, yeah, if you haven't noticed, folks. <laughs> by the way, Ryan's sitting on a very nice mid-century modern couch. I, no, <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate the ability to, but I, I, uh, I, I don't. I don't hesitate to find the value in airing grievances and being able to circle back and find common ground again, right? There is a lot of value in just getting to speak your mind, try to still be diplomatic, have a loss of, you know, breakdown in communication comes from offense being taken and you and I both offended each other. And I apologize for that. You know, I likewise, absolutely. And And that we can come back and sit down Civil, if the rest of humanity could come, if we're, 
if we're setting some any kind of example, and I, you know, I'm growing more every day to try to be able to do this. This is the the extent of my being, and in the name of just trying to understand what the hell's going on, mm-hmm. yep. you know, yeah, and all personal bullshit aside. Yeah. Is that we just get to the point of being like, hey, man, we're just trying to find out what the truth is. Trying to learn. And let's face it, you don't think Neil Bohr and, you know, Sir Isaac Newton got a couple heated conversations along the way. Like, yeah, I mean, this has pissed people off since the beginning of time. Yeah. What, the earth is in the center of the universe? Go right. fuck yourself. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. And we're not even dealing with any pressing issue like that. We're just trying to figure out what species of fungi is best with Soil some <laughs> random fucking bonsai plant. Like, you know, and still we can hardly control ourselves. Yeah. 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 If you can't laugh at yourself, you're going to grow freaking mad. Yeah. No doubt. So thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, to, yeah, you know, Just yeah. get through this and yeah. really deal with the tough conversation. Yeah, I I uh, appreciate you being willing to come back up here because uh, you could have said no. Oh yeah, you no, know, you and I said no, and you didn't, and and that and and um, and I and I was very strong in my response. Uh, you know, although I will say strong in my response, I did stay the course, and I and I and I do feel that I that I had enough respect and faith in your knowledge and what you had said to stay the course and. Consequently, I do believe, and in continuing to go back to your recommendations, I still believe it's giving me a greater amount of health in my garden. Okay, so thank you, you know, so much for saying that. Not yeah, another absolutely. compost an extract, honor. and trying to lean on some of my old methodologies and finding that they are not pulling me out of a, a, an issue that I have seen prior to the compost extract, and to continue to see afterwards, and recognizing that the hydrolysate, the kelp. Uh, and the addition of CalMag outside of the limber pine, which um, which they have pulled out of that. It wasn't super detrimental. I don't want people to take this as don't apply, you know, calcium or magnesium to a limber pine. No, we just saw where in the more steady observational application of the hot bar at Whole Foods, right, which isn't the, the total way towards a holistic, right. sustainable it, it diet. It may not be home cooking, but it's a great... But it's yeah. pretty good, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That the hydrolysate kelp um has had a very positive impact in the belief of those sources of nutrition being a very sustainably healthy source for these trees in this abnormal condition and there's more to build on from that you know but the area i wanted to return to was i was talking about early on the application of solid fertilizers as really an epicenter of food, not necessarily for the plant, although I think the byproduct of that is the plant, but an epicenter of food for the microbes that we are facilitating the growth of. And I I have found that just with fish hydrolysates and kelp, that I don't see the same quantity of microbial activity in terms of beneficial mushrooms showing up or mushrooms showing fungal uh, content showing up in the in the fall or over the course of the season, et cetera. And I wanted to know if I'm wrong in that. So you're saying that by adding fish and kelp, you're seeing less fungal presence as opposed to no, the No, I'm saying by, by applying a solid organic fertilizer that requires the decomposition via microbial activity to become actively available, Mm-hmm. In the containers that I see that solid organic fertilizer break down in, which would which would indicate microbe microbes are acting on it, 
that I am seeing a greater presence of health. I'm seeing a greater presence of fungi showing up in the wetter seasons. Be in the fish in the coke. No, in, in the containers that have a dry fertilizer, a dry organic fertilizer. So the fish in the kelp is a liquid, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. In the court in the forms we were using, yeah. it, yes. It, it's a liquid. And 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 the Dr. Earth is just an example, or biogold would just be an example, or any other dry organic would be just be an example, right? And I recognize there are forms of the nitrogen source that and and forms of the nutrition that make it good versus bad more of a whole foods diet versus a mcdonald's right yeah, yeah. At, at least to the simplified way that i understand it yes sir yeah. but do you see a benefit to having that present on the soil surface as a resource that could p- potentially present itself as a food source for microbial activity and become a decomposed food source for the tree or do you think that that is unrelated and that the fish and the kelp would be enough to sustain a tree and a microbial population well, in, a, in a hydroponic in a virtually hydroponic situation or hydroponic-esque situation compared to in ground right um you know it poses the question if the liquid is coming in and the final the following day you have to go water the plants and you're just going to use water right like did it stick and what did it stick to right and I, you, you kind of have to like put yourself physically into the pot and just imagine you're like a microbe or something swimming around in it. Like, what is really the physics of what's going on here? Mm-hmm. If it was just a liquid and you have a low carbon content, which we do, and even it, it, with the clay and pumice and akadama, like, there's not that much sticking property. Well, you guys were taking the bio bio gold and you know with toothpicks sticking it to the top so it was like very much even if you watered that day and you watered over the top of that little patty some nutrients became available mm-hmm. in all practicality uh you know a liquid fertilizer without the humix without the carbon content without the glue holding it in place it was just in and out yeah. It was a flush, um, you know, at the sake of sounding progressive, because <laughs> you know, it's now kind of a dirty word and I understand it. Um, putting the nutrients where they need to be above ground is, um, inc- is proving to be increasingly effective in a lot of regenerative organic agriculture. It's proving to be effective or ineffective? Uh, effective. Effective, yes. okay. Positively effective. Uh-huh. Um, John Kempf and the Regenerative Agriculture Podcast is huge on this. Um, the right amounts of uh, redox forward foliar applications with an amino chelator. It sticks to the foliage and it's right where you need it when you need it because you don't necessarily have the holding capacity in poor soils. Um, in conventional agricultural systems to retain much nutrient. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes we'll see that a report will only call for X amount of calcium, but that equation is based off of the cation exchange capacity, which may be very, very low in a sandy soil. So now all of a sudden, 
and effectively, Akadama, pumice, and clay, and uh, perlite. I'm sorry, what's the first, La- third thing? Lava. And lava mm-hmm. is effectively a sandy soil. Yeah. It's even more so, the surface area to volume ratio is is drastically lower than even a sandy soil. Yep. So uh, a liquid nutrient is just, it's only, it's like a train passing by. It's gone yep. as soon as it showed up. Yep. Did it do good while it was there? Sure. But that period of time is so low that we we need to have some kind of residual content. Yeah. And we would love to be able to add it in a granular form, but now we're con- uh, consuming all of the porosity that we need to just keep the oxidation level there. Yeah, right. So, you know, and it's kind of like, oh, let's work backwards. Um, I think that the it would be a prudent answer that all parties would agree to that we're probably calcium deficient. Mm-hmm. And that allows for a lot of fungal disease pressure that if calcium is the carrier molecule for so many other different carrier atom for so many other different nutrients. And if we're potassium forward in the Akadama and all these other materials, it's very easily easy to assume that whatever exchange capacity we have present in the soil is not being occupied, occupied by calcium and that's leading to those issues. Now, instead of let's saying we have an answer, let's pose a question. How do we get more calcium into the system? That was just what I was going to ask you. Great you question. Get, I'm you not even going to give you an answer. Let's just say. How do you get more available calcium? Because calcium, putting calcium in is one thing. Putting available calcium in is a totally different thing. Yeah. Right? And then when you start to say, how do you put available calcium in without having a major shift of pH? Now, here's a great answer to that. Um, uh, Michael Agricola, uh, Michael Estera, um, uh, William Albrecht, a lot. Of, let me beat around the bush and just say uh, gypsum. Gypsum is calcium sulfate. The sulfate will remove the sodium, the potassium, other cations from the exchange that are hogging that, and it'll leave behind calcium. So that is a, it's a potentiality. And let's let's learn from our mistakes and say, theoretically speaking, in a lot of other systems, this does work. Might we pick a specimen or two mm-hmm. and say, hey, let's play around with this. Super cheap, 50 pounds of it are, uh, you know, seven bucks. Mm-hmm. And you need like a teaspoon per gallon of water. And you could do that frequently throughout multiple waterings and still be financially effective and then you could come in with nutrients and if that was uh sodium forward which as a matter of fact the kelp the fish all of the things that we added are predominantly also high in sodium Mm -hmm. and with a low exchange capacity that can have a compounding effect so now that you know now we're starting to maybe get closer to what a solution is and this is from running into problems the only way we have created these solutions is by confronting problems. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and there's something to be said for that. So I'm not saying that's the answer. Yeah, yeah. But I am curious to see what the effect of a gypsum-like product would have inside of the soil column and what that does for bonsai. 
So would you, so then with the gypsum, then are we getting into a scenario where gypsum would be, and I, and I have, uh, I have two questions, so I'm going to throw them both at you. Would yep. gypsum be something that you would periodically use as a flushing agent and calcium uh, uh, application? Yes. Okay. And then is there any value or have you ever seen any value to the addition of charcoal? in a soil <laughs> substrate as a cation exchange component and buffering component. Are you mentioning like biochar? Yeah. Loaded question. I, 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 don't, I don't know because there are some bone type professionals yeah. that put it in and swear by it. Awesome. There's a lot, there's a lot that, that are not interested in it. Right. So, um, And I will say this. I've never seen a root system with biochar in it that was good in a bonsai container. I'll just throw that. That's a, that's yeah. a, that has no, that's completely anecdotal. Amazing. I'll say this. Biochar is like compost that just because it's called biochar doesn't mean it's anything specific. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with compost. There are so many different processes and spe specificities to making biochar and compost. And they're both of them are not created equal. What I understand to be the science of biochar is that, yes, it has higher porosity, which would be very attractive theoretically. However, in the same action that took place with the addition of compost and it yanking nutrient from the plant because of the bacteria fungi, they're just absorbing most of the nutrition. Biochar will have that same effect. So... We theorized, and we're totally not there yet, but you know, me and my colleagues have sat around and said, well, what if we created an Albrecht-balanced biochar that had this is this amount of material, this is cation exchange capacity of it, let's saturate 68% of it with calcium, and this much with magnesium, this much with potassium, and then let's add it to a piece of material. The science is not there yet. I've never done it. Mm -hmm. And theoretically... Uh, it looks good on paper, but we both know the pitfalls of that one at this yeah, right. juncture. Mm -hmm. So uh, possibly, yeah, there's a whole lot of micro porosity. So you would you would be increasing what is necessary to uh, the bonsai pots is in increasing the holding capacity. I mean, wouldn't it be great to be able to have more nutrients available per square micrometer and simultaneously still have more oxygen? Isn't that is is that not like the draw of Akadama? But how do we do One that? Them, yeah. yeah, but how do we do that? Mm -hmm. We I can't say that either of us have that answer yet. Yeah. And so it's just the painstaking, long, arduous pursuit of knowing that is isolated variable science, and um, you know, God bless us if we have the patience to go through it. Yeah. And just pick one and just be like, hey, you know what I want to know about? Fish hydrolysate. And let's apply it at 5 milliliters, 10 milliliters, and 15 milliliters on these different gradient basises in clonal copies of 5 to 10 different plants Yeah. over elongated periods of time. And maybe at the end of one year, we have an answer to something like that. Yeah. And that's why I was so um, genome- uh, specific genomic testing forward is like, well, let's, can we stop with the shotgun approach and just figure yeah. out the mechanism? Because then we can actually say something. Because otherwise, all we can say is, 
generally speaking, in most scenarios, these minimum levels of microbial biomass that are based off of morphological characteristics, which is still pretty vague, this kind of works mm -hmm. in these plants. And that's, you know, that's, that's not really mechanism-based science. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, it's pain in the ass. I mean, it makes you want to just go do something else. Drink a beer and take it easy, but well, I, I mean, I've felt like that my entire career with bonsai. It's been a constant uh, battle and juxtaposition of what needs to happen versus what is possible, what is realistic, what is comfortable. I guess to some degree, you know, like everybody yeah. wants, everybody wants answers. Everybody wants answers easily. Everybody wants answers quickly. There's no person out there who's like hey make this as hard and as long as and as complicated as is possible i want that now right. there are people yeah. out there that say i'll accept that and i'll go ahead and i'll go through the arduous process of finding it for no reason other than that's what it's going to take and i'm willing to do it right but there's nobody that's like yes make it worse yeah, give it to me totally yeah. that's some just sadistic shit yeah, yeah that's that that is really crazy in a lot of ways that's that's what i've chosen as a career and and I think like uh, my quest to find more sustainable solutions by trying to isolate the variable with the accept, accepted modern substrate that that I do think is universally recognized as giving us the best possible product yet. And that's not even to say that it's the end all be all. Which I think when we started this was like, man, if there's a solution that doesn't involve Akadama, I would love that even more. You know, right. but to do this aesthetically, which the only reason that anybody does bonsai is because it looks awesome, <laughs> you know, and like that's the only reason why we're going through all of this, which is kind of hilarious in, in a right. lot of ways. You got to laugh. Absolutely. You, you do. You do. Yeah. It's like, wow, we, we, nobody know. ever like lived or died based off of the bonsai. Like it's a leisure activity. It's, it's a, it's a leisure activity. Yeah. And I mean, I think, but simultaneously, it, it literally, will give you so many answers to the macrocosm that is the microcosm of bonsai. I think it'll give you answers to the macrocosm of, you know, personal health, mental health, uh, relationship with nature, potential scientific discoveries. Like Philosophy, I think, all those things. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I think yeah. you can very easily go down the hole of finding value in bonsai and giving reason to pursuing these kinds of things. But but when you do pull out of it, when you when you pull up, you're just like, well, this is also at the same time a little bit ridiculous. And like I have to wrestle with that as a choice. There's a big difference between being a, a soil scientist like yourself that's trying to feed the world. This is a that's a valiant cause. Uh, and me being like, I do this because it looks cool, but I, 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 I honestly see those beneficial aspects of and how they impact the people around me that have gotten into bonsai. And likewise, I think that if we can figure this out, we can better feed the world. Yeah. And there's probably and, a lot of and that's the intimate relationship that I think we're really forming through this dialogue is it's so specific. Yeah. And we should not claim to have any answer whatsoever. And just because it works in a greater sweet spot, what and what a great platform to say, hey we're working on a sniper level and we're kind of, we shit the bed. Yeah. You know, but yeah. no, or maybe well, we found one thing that kind of worked. It looks like early spring fish kelp and cow mag. One application might be a good idea. That's it. If we can say that, and we could say that off of 2019, 
I would early say spring, so. Early spring application of just that after not being fed, that's a good look. We did that year one. I look forward to being here 2025, 2030. Sure. And just wormholing till yeah. the end of time. And I think that that's, um, you know, the difference is just the pursuit of knowledge, not the attainment thereof. Well, and I continue to, but I don't have any scientific information to back it up except for what I've seen, but I continue to see the fish hydrolysates and, and, and kelp being beneficial. Rad. And awesome. I can, and I continue to see the CalMag benefiting my trees in the Pacific Northwest, which which Dope. and that wasn't happening a year ago, huh? No. Well, I mean, I we we just committed to it, yeah. Uh, and honestly, I, I I upped the rate significantly to the label recommendation from where oh, we were at last year. Love it, yeah. Because I was definitely shy about it. Yeah, I'm we, like, the so thing we went, called for fifteen to twenty, and I'm like, Dang. yeah, we went heavy. Yeah, we went heavy, and uh, that's really actually that's a. Gr- that says a lot. That tells me a lot right there. And then uh and then I think I, I, I think I do recognize the limitations of of manufactured fertilizers, organic or not. Um just in terms of w- where the modern bonsai substrate exists with the potassium contents. I don't know if the phosphorus issue is even a something that we're dealing with. I trust Dave DeGroote a lot, but that could be a unique situation from where he's at in Federal Way, Washington, to where I'm at, or he's in Puyallup. Well, I'll I'll tell you this, um, you know, mycorrhizae and phosphorus is a great relationship. I usually don't even try to use the myco because so many farmers are phosphorus forward that it, the application of heavy phosphorus will impede the growth and establishment of endo and ectomycorrhizae. Wait, you, the application of phosphorus will? Yeah. If you have extra phosphorus, the uh, mycorrhizae effect, effectively is like there to go get phosphorus for the plant. It increases that root surface area, and it's going to mine it out of a soil that is heavy laden in it. But if you added a bunch of phosphorus, it's just kind of like the myco sitting around me like, what, what am I doing here now? I don't have any relationship necessary to the plant so it it'll impede its uh reproduction so if you are low in phosphorus or there's a phosphorus issue that could i would look forward (laughs) this is our new language that needs to be conduced is i look forward to further discovering the relationship there so a low the 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 proposition then or the the hypothesis is that a low phosphorus content actually creates the necessity for endomycorrhiza to be present and ecto. Yes, more so. More so. Well, let's and even more prudent. Let's say that the uh, excess application of phosphorus decreases the presence of endo and ectomycorrhiza. That wow. that is, and that's how science talks. As they say, we didn't apply phosphorus. And then we did apply phosphorus in two applications of the same species where we had this much mycorrhizae. There was a bunch of mycorrhizae present in the sample with no phosphorus application, and there was none present in the application with a bunch of phosphorus. So now we have an isolated variable, and one can assume that the application of phosphate decreases the presence of endo or ectomycorrhizae within the soil column. Yeah, and, and decreasing the presence uh, of is is such a mixed bag because it's did it was it not necessary then or was it 
you know, counterproductive to the uh, occupation. Right. Of. It's you're right. It still does not tell us the mechanism right. of what was taking place. Right. We only really have the writing on the wall, the wall after the fact. So I mean, and it's that's too much, man. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost it almost does get too frustrating. But but at the same time, there's been so many breakthroughs that it's like there's no reason to stop now. Well, and here's what it, we can bring to the table: is you are bonsai specific, and and it's so crazy complicated to try to understand this, but we're dealing in annuals, perennials, horticultural plants, agrarian plants, 50 acres, 5,000 square feet, 100 square feet. What can I tell you about the totality of all of these different horticultural pursuits? And I would say this right now is that, well, if we found that kelp and fish hydrolysate have some benefit, I can also tell you that those are very sodium-rich content, and there's just no way they come from the sea, salty sea. We could look to playing around with gypsum mm-hmm. to remove some of that sodium yep. and, and then increase the efficacy of those two products you're talking about. Yeah. And, and maybe there's something there. We can look to design an experiment in the future that might uh, you know, begin to increase the efficacy of the fish hydrolysate and the kelp. Yeah, that interesting. We there. Gypsum seems to be the next uh starting point, but I understand that there is no starting point that is trackable without the soil analysis and mineral content analysis established and I think the challenging thing for me is uh when you have a tree that is in a bonsai container and has highly occupied that container with a massive amount of roots there's never going to be that much soil it's just oh, it's, it's just a, a it, it's a real limited capacity i think inside of bonsai to have the kind of content to even do that testing is really challenging we to, talked about it before where it's like it's moderately sadistic mm-hmm. you know the plant's got to be girdled that would be a nightmare to any other horticulturalist yeah like you put a established plant inside a two-gallon pot, you don't want to leave it there for more than a month. Right. You guys are doing that for elongated period of time and hoping that pruning and everything else. I mean, I would love to start to get into the hormone conversation and increase cytokinin with root branching and the oxen-cytokinin relationship, the gibberellic acid-ethylene antagonistic relationship. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ, the wormhole is... Like there's plenty of meat on the bone. We're not yeah. going to go bored anytime soon, but what can we do to increase the buffering capacity would be a great start. Um, I think that if, if we have a finite amount of soil, we know this to be true that endo and ectomycorrhizae can acquisition more nutrient per square inch per square foot per square yard of soil. So that'd be a great place to start looking at some stuff. Know that fulvic and humic acid uh, in a liquid form has the ability to flocculate and chelate a lot of the nutrient availability so that we end up with less precipitated nutrition um, and uh, creates really will immediately raise your cation exchange capacity. Mm -hmm. So we add some fulvic and humics in a liquid form. Now maybe you can increase the nutrient content or it'll just even keep it the same and it'll have a better of better ability to absorb into the plant. Yeah, and I think like one of the common one of the common components of most 
produced organic fertilizers now is 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 humic acid content. Now, is that humic acid content something that in addition to you need to add, or is that something that is beneficial or in a solid fertilizer form to have a, have humic acid? Is it, does it become the same conversation as the biochar and the, the you know the, the different? It Di- is different. It is different. I don't add. I don't have one recipe, <clears throat> hardly, given you know, extraneous circumstances where I don't suggest prior to adding anything else, regardless, maybe you don't even know what your water sample is. I'm full vic acid forward all day long as we just put that in. And that way, whatever else goes in does not precipitate out a solution. You add CalMag and a phosphorus source. It's really easy to get a calcium phosphate precipitate. We see a reduction in that when we put in fulvic acid first so that the phosphorus and the calcium comes on to the fulvic acid molecule instead of just binding with each other together. Yeah. And then just passing straight through the soil column. And now we probably get away with it inside of our other horticultural pursuits because there's more biology, more soil column, more space to be worked on. You guys are not afforded that luxury. Yeah. Which is, which is interesting because technically if you didn't have a high phosphorus, well, and I mean, I guess, honestly, CalMag could potentially cause phosphorus content to precipitate out by acting as a binding agent and glomming onto excess phosphorus in the soil. And then maybe over the course of consistent CalMag applications, you may get to a point where it does start to actually act on calcium content in the soil. But then the downside to that is the excessive application of magnesium could decrease the could increase compaction, decrease oxygen content. And now yes. all of a sudden you see one problem exchange for another problem and CalMag as a singular application is not the solution. Right. Like inside of a very sandy soil, we would like our magnesium contents to be higher. Uh-huh. Inside of a heavy clay soil, we would like our magnesium contents to be lower because uh-huh. we're trying to offset the nature of the physical properties of that soil. Yeah. Um, Phosphate and phosphorus is a is a negatively charged molecule, as opposed to the the ionic forms, the cationic forms that calcium magnesium exist in. So they're not competing for the same spots on the on the soils on the soil surface, so to speak. But the fantastic part about fulvic acid is that there's negative and positively charged sites. What so about humic acid? Same, same. Uh-huh. And the only difference really, and it's science is still working on having like a molecular formula, so to speak. Um, really, it's just based off of atomic weight. Uh-huh. So fulvic acid is just smaller atomic weight per molecule, saying there's a better surface area to volume ratio. So per volumetric of solution... Fulvic acid has a higher cation exchange capacity or has a higher holding capacity of nutrients within the soil. Mm-hmm. But do we need both? Absolutely, yes. And olmic acids and a variety of organic acids. And still, you know, maybe that's the diversity we're really looking for and not necessarily uh, the biological diversity. Or maybe that's not the first step, at least. Yeah, interesting. And maybe that has a little bit of a higher application to bonsai where we might not be able to, in the aggregate nature of the soil, achieve the same biodiversity. You may then, and and, and this is interesting because it comes back to um, 
you know, the, the discussion of, uh, you know, thistle as a really interesting soaked thistle and mm. the, mm-hmm. the stuff that comes out of thistle, just the same as like willow being a natural, you know, rooting hormone if you soak willow in water. Right, right, right. And yeah. uh, thistle, I've heard, has some properties that are extremely um, beneficial to plant growth and a little bit of an old world application, particularly in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. as a commonality and then there was uh, some discussion uh, uh several years ago about um amino acid chains and complex amino acid chains and uh a product that uh you know sort of a mad scientist in in bonsai was using a uh, amino acid supplement for veterinary practices on his plants yeah i will actually agree that instead of the conventional agriculture form of chelators that is uh edta whatever that stands for um we are beginning to use amino acids as a chelator to be able to make things available and what a great uh shortcut to be able to take because really what nitrogen is doing is forming amino acids and proteins so why not add the amino acid in totality to the soil and see what kind of permeability there is through the root cortex in that regard, or even as a foliar, because when applying an amino acid, now we're in a reduced form and not an oxidized form, Uh which is more conducive towards uh, the plant's uh, oxidative state that we're trying to also achieve. Sorry. Yeah, this is, no, 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 this no, is the no, Olivier no, Husson stuff, which is so rad. It's 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 fascinating because you do recognize, and and I think this was has been the discussion all along. You know, even when Keisha and Casey came up and podcasted with us the second time after we did our initial podcast and talking about, you know, when you prune a plant and it just dumps all of these resources into the soil suddenly with the 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 byproduct of pruning. Right. You yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and just just that just that simple knowledge of the physiological response to a reduction in foliar mass, and you get this dump of resource into the soil, is a is a very interesting behavior to me. And you start to talk about all of these moving parts, and for me, the mechanisms in bonsai that are interesting, like I have to understand the soil science. But it almost is so complex that it's like so daunting. It's like I don't want to look at it. You know, because I because there's I'm never gonna know everything. No, and I don't think any of us are ever going. And there's something that is simultaneously futile and enticing about that pursuit. And I can recommend some great books that at least can get us started. But I think that you know, plants would look us look at us and slap their face. Which be like we're operating on such a higher level of specificity, and you're just trying to figure out. How much calcium to give us? Yeah, bro. It's like, it's like, like, like caveman gr- grunting yeah. communication versus <laughs> yeah. complex languages and writing. And right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, I think I, that we both know there's a level of intuition. And, um, you know, what's the best fertilizer? This is the farmer's footsteps in the field. Yeah. And I know you know it too, just walking through your nursery and sure. me walking through my farm. And that's the hardest part about even being a consultant, doing all of the traveling things. And maybe this is the good benefit of. Uh, you know, this our society being grounded over the past months is that, hey, we just have to focus on our one spot. Yeah. Because you can go and say, hey, do this, and then you don't see the guy for oh so long. And I think that everything that we really learned, the lesson for me is really um, have an intimate relationship with all of the gardens 
and the clients that you work with. Yeah. And be there on a regular basis. Take less, uh, you know, clients over the course of the year if that's what it's necessary. Or, you know, in the same way as your food and your compost is just source it from a, a local place mm-hmm. and be where they're at. Yeah. You know, so that you can just stop by and say, hey, let's go take it. Let's just stroll. Let's pop a beer and stroll through the garden and have a chat because it's um, paramount that with the clients that I do have every Monday morning, we sit down and have a chat Yeah, and just say, hey, what are you doing this week? And I'm yeah. sure you've seen the same thing. You don't hear from the guy for two or three weeks and, you know, what's lost in communication is massive. Yeah. It can be really cumbersome. So... Yeah, I, I, I think I'm also guilty too because like I would say for the most part if you look around Mirai and most people come here, <clears throat> they wouldn't look at Mirai and be like, wow, your trees are so unhealthy. They'd be like, dude. You're killing it. These things are awesome. Oh, it looks amazing. But I but I I want I want that next level of horticulture in bonsai. Yeah. That hasn't really been hit yet. Because to to just say, okay, I can get a plant to be dense and healthy and grow and I can prune it and clean and repot it and stuff, that that's not really accepting that as the pinnacle is not really an, enough. Um, because if we don't know, and the strongest statement my f- physiology professor ever made in college is, you know, if there's 24,000 uh, hormonal actions that a plant has or or pathways triggered by environmental stimuli we've tracked 1200 of them right you know and it's just like well and i think here's the halfway point that haunts me is that it is enough that they're still alive and god bless that (laughs) we have plants we have a garden and i am so and believe me i i have cupping on 200 feet of tomatoes right now Yeah. Drive me crazy. Yeah. How do I fix it? I want to fix it. Hyper control. What's up? Western America. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But also, uh, I got tomatoes. Yeah. You have a bonsai garden. Yeah. And it's just good that they're alive and that's great. And and as we try to understand more, let us just be modest in that pursuit. Yeah. Let us try to understand one more thing. Not if you know twelve thousand of the twenty-four thousand. That's what that's what he said, but I think it was right. figurative, right? Sure, yeah. I'm just using it as a theoretical yeah. too. Mm-hmm. But hey, twelve thousand and one, awesome. Twenty nineteen was worth it. And if you did that, you, I mean, if you add, let's, I mean, look at it honestly from the entirety of the scientific body of work of humanity. Were you to add one paragraph to the book, shoot, one sentence, and you had your name quoted at the bottom? I mean, that's most people's life work yeah and that's a lot more than some people ever do yeah so it's a you know it is a humbling pursuit to say the least but you're pursuing your component of this with a determination that would insinuate to me that that's not necessarily satisfactory to you uh rephrase the question so you're pursuing your you're pursuing your uh, sort of your place in this whole equation and you know the kind of determination that you're putting towards learning and understanding this and testing and trying to accomplish and you're striving for very very significant things where a singular sentence 
doesn't seem like it would satisfy you. Although, although I understand the sentiment of let's just be grateful and, and have humility in this pursuit, you're still motivated for more than that. Absolutely. And I mean, I guess I would say it as this is, and I, I feel this every day is I'm just, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. I am not yet even trying to add one sentence. I just want to say, what is the commonality between Ingham, Albrecht, Hussan, Kempf? Uh, do I need to go on? You know, every great mind that's mm -hmm. ever in like, you know, and what always is true? Mm -hmm. And how do we just bring all of those pieces together? I'm not even trying to add the sentence yet. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to make sense of all of the, you know, puzzle pieces I've been given right now. And how do we put these all together just to do something like very pragmatic and just like use less water mm -hmm. and something so fundamental and like, uh, and it's, and, and that's going to be a lot of work and that will, that will keep me busy for years from now. And if in the process I can use contemporary technology to say, Hey, this one mechanism seems to have a role uh, I, I'm a fundamental believer in the entourage effect. Mm -hmm. And you stated that early, and I totally agree. It is not just because we realize this is the mechanism by which agrobacterium tumor facians is, uh, you know, has a, it is remediated. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that that's the only thing that's doing it. Right. But that has some role in it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Great. See, this is the frustration for me, though, and I didn't mean to, like, in any way downplay, like, that discovery because that would feel, for as much as you guys have worked and, and had success in that, like, there's celebration in that success. And I think I always come to, like, yeah, there's success in knowing that, and then there's five other things that happened inside totally. of that. You know, and, like, it, I, so I extrapolate true. that, too. My, my sister used to work, um, you know, towards improving educational opportunities in the public education system and and improving educational opportunities for uh, a, a lot of minority populations as her like life work you know and yeah. um, and I remember talking to her one time where they were working on the level of political uh, reform and um, trying to get lobbyists and politicians to vote towards improving education and funding for education and I said well oh. Do you ever I can't think, even imagine having patience for that. Right. What yeah. a noble pursuit. Absolutely. She's my sister's a pretty spectacular human being, but but um just just kind of through and through in what she's dedicated her life to. But I said, Do you ever think about the other things that that politician is gonna vote on? And she said, Well, that's not something that I can control. My pursuit is education. And I guess I found that to be hard to accept that that yeah. politician might be voting for degradation of the natural environment or unsustainable practices and what whatever way shape or form but but in his educational pursuit which is what she was she was trying to have a positive impact in right. he, he was going to uh, uh you know or she was going to agree you know the politician was going to right towards that implementation and i see that same the nature of lobbyists and all of that stuff yeah but know? it's almost the same trickle down effect in terms of when you look at these external factors that we put into the plant's input system and 
just the same with CalMag and all of a sudden you have calcium and maybe it binds with phosphorus or maybe it gets to the tree and we have calcium deficiency, but all of a sudden magnesium has an impact, you know, and then you say, okay, well, gypsum, well, gypsum's going to have a pro and gypsum's going to have a con, right? you know, yeah. and, and we're going to go through this just constantly. And that's where, when I originally was proposing to you, like, if I have this system that I already know its weaknesses and I can use the water as a basis for the decision, can I get to a point where my input is, and I respect and recognize the necessity for specificity and the sniper effect, but can I get to a, a place where there is a broad enough approach that I don't throw off the system in any one of these delicate areas mm -hmm. to the degree where I don't cause this card house of card effect? Yeah, and had actually, you know, had with a little bit more patience, had we even had I, you know, had I addressed this question, was um, the one piece of the puzzle really is the addition of carbon, and not necessarily in a uh, biochar form, but in those fulvic and humic acids, which is just pre-digest plant material that is creating a larger sweet spot, which we know is very low inside of the plants. I mean, uh, talking about the lobbyists, it's like they're, it's the same thing with ecological modeling. Statistically speaking, you just have to ignore like 80% of what's going on. Mm -hmm. You can't isolate a variable in a, a wetland ecosystem. Right. You just have to disregard them in your modeling, which mathematically I can hardly understand how that's even relevant. Right. But it's kind of the same thing in what we're dealing with. It's like we're just looking for the fulcrum. And, and I'll say this, I mean, we were swept away with the romanticism of each of us just being able to make all of our fertility inputs and our biological inputs on site. It's not out of the question that Bonsai Mirai could absolutely cultivate all of, its all of its necessary plant food ingredients just here on site. You don't have to buy fish from the coast. Yeah. You don't have to get anything in the mail ever. If there's one thing I'm going to be swept away by, you know, emotionally, romantically, shit, yeah, I want that to be it. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. We are shooting for the top. Now, yeah. what are the other things? Maybe there's a fulcrum in that transition, and what does that look like? Mm -hmm. And I'll never give up on that pursuit because that's the, you know, that's the apex mm -hmm. of everything. It's, like, mm -hmm. it's really self-reliance. And I think that's the the cornerstone of the romanticism. Like you can grow all of the bonsai plants and tomatoes or pepper plant, whatever you want to do. Yep. Just you'd be able to do it all inside of house. Yep. Um, we just haven't gotten into that black box yet. And, you know, and we are the children of the uh, better living through chemistry yeah. generation. Yeah. So, so be it. You know, we're just coming back to the roots and trying to figure it out and, um, God bless that we never stop trying to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, amen. I, I mean, I hear you there, and I think like uh, you know, self sustainability is definitely a motivation. I think um, where where it becomes a little bit daunting for me is in the notion that it's so hard to try and be satisfied with just what we can do at Mirai because as an educator and really as somebody who believes in the capacity for Boneside to have a positive impact on people's lives. It means solving the systems that allows people to have success in a multitude of areas. Right. And right. that, that comes back to kind of, you know, food production from your perspective and motivation and the necessity to understand the systems 
and try to decrease the variables and isolate the opportunities. And that came back to where I established, listen, if we have this modernized soil that's consistent and we have water as a variable and we have what we apply as a variable, can those two things become something that allows allows us to create a body of knowledge that gives people success? And that I think it is unrealistic to think that we could simplify it to that degree because every plant is an individual living organism that is going to have natural genetic diversity and natural predispositions towards positive and negatives to that broad spectrum approach. I recognize that, right? Right, right. Uh, but I want to, tr and, and, and I'm always going to be motivated to try and get closer to that. Right. What, and, and, you know, it's, 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 I think that's like a, so much of like the, the human condition is, uh, what's the silver bullet? We want that quick fix. Mm -hmm. Like we have pharmaceutical America because of that. We have so many, you know, one-stop shops. We have, uh, microwave meals because of that. It's just, this is all the answers I need right mm -hmm. here so quickly. Um, I would love to have it too. I wish I could tell you what that one thing is. But fundamentally speaking, from a scientific standpoint, if I am to go out on a limb here, and this is so much of what we really, instead of trying to say, hey, how can we solve every single problem? Um, I think more systematically, how can we alleviate the first one? Yeah. Yeah. And in conjunction along with, so for example, when you go to calculate the uh, mineral reports that you may or may not get from a soil sample, you'll nine times out of 10, as much as the case with most human diseases is with soil, is it's a disease of excess. Oh, too much magnesium, too much potassium, too much nitrogen, too much phosphorus, too much, too much, too much, too much. Well, all the equation is, is the cation exchange capacity, the molecular weight of what it is, the atom you're looking at, and the percentage of saturation, saturation you want if you increase the cation exchange capacity, all of a sudden, sodium might not be in excess. The only way you can effectively do that is either copious amount of compost additions into a native soil, which is out of the question in this case, mm -hmm. or in the case of bonsai would be like a liquid fulvic humic acid. And that has found to raise that CEC. We can couple that with flushing the soil of the things that we don't want with the gypsum I would be interested in looking at it and knowing and what that way, knowing if it actually did it and what it would do and how it responded. Yeah. And then how do we measure that? Like we have something called a saturated pace test, which is yes, you'd still have to take in a volume of soil, but it's really just measuring what's in the soil solution, mm -hmm. not what's stuck on the Akadama. Right. But what's in that like water faction, so to speak. Maybe there's some things that we can do with uh, water testing the runoff from a bonsai container because i imagine with the amount that you guys water some drains out the bottom it's it's super easy to do right and then maybe we'll get a little standardization off of so many replications and i think some of them we could even do in-house you mm -hmm. probably have like a litmus test to say how much is, does it turn pink or blue which is fairly yeah which is fairly broad brush stroke but still gets you in the wheelhouse right at least something yeah you know and and the other problem really that i see is that you have you know, specimens out here that are a property of different countries. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can take the pressure off and find something that's just like we got it at Home Depot. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And then all of a sudden we just at least have some uh, lab rats. Yeah. Not like monkeys. Yeah. And, and, and I would hate to 
I would hate, you know, to communicate that what I'm looking for is the easy fix because I'm not looking for the silver bullet. I know that that's not, you know, like I think there was a moment where the compost sounded like it was it. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, let's get in right, that, you know? Right, I know. Uh, and, and it does, and, and, and it's, I've learned over the course of my career and should have known better, you know, just in terms of being measured in our application of this, that that does not exist and never will exist. And it's like, how do you get towards a source of information that has the most commonalities, again, might be the better way to describe it, where you are finding the most number of likes, likenesses or similarities to allow you to accept that as a more understood component of like a, a of standardized a, approach. Yeah. Like of the an impossible diagram. system to yeah. ever fully understand because you are dealing with. And, and I do think this is similar to the medical environment with the human body where they are, they are, there is a greed to that, that there is a negative so you know connotation to that. And there's also like a, a genuinely positive gesture of we're trying our best to be able to have the po most positive impact to the widest number of people. Now, I, right. I think that gets skewed and, you know, all of the stuff that happens. But they're, yeah, they're, their ideals are lofty. And, you know, and honest, and what you're really describing is this is this the experiments that I always run because this is such the question, the begging question is we have a control that just gets whatever it's been getting for the longest time. In this case, it would be bio gold. Mm -hmm. And then we have one that is a biological application of compost. And then we have one that is biological and mineral balancing. And what is the difference? Mm -hmm. And let's, and, and by doing these side by side trials, because Let's face it, it's a plant. Like every year is not the same. Mm -hmm. You're not in a controlled environment. Yep. We're not under lights or in a greenhouse or anything else. It's just, we're, you know, at the mercy of the climate. So if we run these experiments side by side, maybe then we can begin to see what's really the fulcrum and what's the sweet spot because there's a copious amount of humic and fulvics inside a compost. But it, and of itself, by itself, in a potassium exacerbated issue with a potassium high compost. You know, now we're just compounding problems. Yeah. So yeah, I look forward to continuing it. I, I do too. Oh, I, pro bono till the till the death. Well, be I my mean, pleasure. But I I think uh, let's get a grant. I think <laughs> I I don't know how to do that, but I would like I would like that. I I think um, to all you nonprofit grant writers out there, yeah, right. Contact <laughs> Bonsai Mirai at <laughs> which is a for-profit company, but don't worry about it. Uh, no, nah, I, I, I'm not going to, I can't stop this pursuit. And I almost, almost feel like because you know that it exists, if you're a person that is compelled to know, then knowing that it exists almost makes it worse. Like I know there's I know. a target yeah. out there to hit. Yeah. I know. And I, and I, and, and having the reinforcement that it needs to be a subtle it needs to be a subtle move. It needs to be a calculated gesture because, again, walking through Mirai, my impression of Mirai is different than anybody else's impression because I know these plants so intimately that they all do look very healthy and I know there's still another gear that that's possible. Right. And, and I think that that's just the nature. I'm learning this lesson every day over and over, even down to today is just so thankful for everything that I have. And balancing that with um, the desire to offer more, do better, yeah, have be have more of an impact, and and it's just somewhere in the middle is 
peace and tranquility. Yeah. And how do I balance that shit? I'll let you know when I get there. Yeah, yeah. But... please do. <laughs> yeah. please, please do. You could be my guru. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. That'll be the day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you know, the journey. It's all about yeah. the journey. And that's the coolest part is just, you know, it's so great to go out and see a, a plant respond to something you did. And even if you don't know why it happened, you know that this overall protocol just made for a very happy plant. Yeah. And it's just, and it, I hate to say it, but it's just one little piece in the puzzle. And anybody who says that they have the answer, like, you know, you just got to not take that too seriously in yeah. the first place. Yeah. But or, people who pose really good questions, I mean, that's that's at least closer to the pursuit of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, thanks for thanks for sticking in the conversation, man. Thanks for you know uh, absolutely being willing to go there and just, always just yeah. uh, butt heads and still pull out and and understand that you know I respect you and what you do and you know what we've attempted here is just the beginning of continuing to learn for both of us and grow and um, yeah we'll keep going. I look forward to continuing this in the distant future. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, out. absolutely, Ian. Right on, man. It's been a pleasure. God bless.